Welcome back to AngelCast, Season 2, Episode 1. It has been a long time, <laughs> the longest year of all our lives, although to be fair, we did seem to sack off recording a podcast a bit before the pandemic, but we'll stick to our excuse as it is. I'm Adam. I'm Alex. And I'm Andy. And the hobby has been quite different for all of us recently. In this episode, we're going to recap what we've been up to since we last saw each other. This, uh, this Zoom seeing of each other is quite nice as it is. Um, and what our hopes for the future of uh, hobby are. So, Andy, what are you painting? Well, that's a, that's a deep and meaningful question. Um, I would, yeah, a couple of things. <laughs> I, I am by far the slowest painter um, in our group, not least because I don't, I probably don't devote as much time as, it, as I to it as I could do. I have been painting a green corn army for the longest time ever. I think I started it in, what are you in now, 2021? It's not ripe 20... yet, it's not turned yeah. yellow. It was, <laughs> it might have been 2019. I'm, I'm going to say that optimistically because it, it might have actually definitely... been 18. 18, <laughs> potentially 17. Let's be Any, anyway, moving it wasn't on. 2019. Um, I, so, didn't, I definitely didn't have grey hair when you started this army. <laughs> That's fair. Um, so of late, um, so I've got, it's going a reason. I mean, progress is there. So there's 10 Blood Warriors that are more or less done. There's 10 Wrathmongers that are more or less done. Uh, everything else is built. And most of the, most of lockdown, I have been exceptionally slow painting um a bloodthirster with a twist um so just kind of i'll maybe i'll maybe i'll come into the detail of that um later on um when we talk about um narrative and stuff or maybe okay but, but um i this year i've painted um the membranes of the wings or at least one half of them and i have some plans for the other bits and then the other thing i did was um through some kind of hobby rage at all the scouts. Was it insane when you were painting that that membrane? Would you, that membrane. How, how would you... it, it, it was absolutely insane. It's the only it's the only red bit on the model. There's a there's a Ooh. bit of a Ooh. Um but in, in in a fit of rage at all the scalpers last year I, I got the Indomitus set in the second round, which eventually turned up at my house in December because in the intervening in the time between the lockdowns, I also moved house and it went to the wrong house and all kinds of fun stuff. Did you say um, you got it in the second round just so you didn't get firebombed by someone calling you a scalper? No, 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 no. <laughs> I forgot. I was, on, about I, was that. on I was on the right side of that argument. Um so <laughs> So I, so I have painted... He says we're 20 sets of Indomitus in the yeah. view of this Zoom call. I mean, I can see at least three in Andy's London flat from here. <laughs> you guys. Um, I have actually painted a Necron. I built some Space Marines um, and my Space Marine army that um, I didn't paint most of myself um, is Raven Guard. So they're all kind of undercoated black and ready to play with when I want to. Um, play as in paint play, not play play. Um, but I painted a Necron and I looked around um, for various different paint schemes as, as, as history will tell in terms of my green corn army and my pink ghosts and various different things. I like alternate color schemes. And I decided that I couldn't find anyone that painted a yellow Necron. So I painted a yellow Necron. It looks and great. It does look great. So I'll, I'll, I'll send that to you. I'll, I'll resend that to you, Adam. And you can um, maybe you post it in the... Uh, yeah, Matt was kind enough to send me the login details for the SoundCloud. The Twitter is a uh, 
a mountain yet to climb, but I'll be posting the show from my Twitter. So yeah, I can certainly that retweet works. any images of things that we talk about this evening. Um, which brings me on to Alex. What are, what are you painting slash what have you painted since the last episode, which um, I actually re-listened to the other day, um, which happened in July 2019. And you guys were really quite mean to me in my absence. And Alex said, oh, he'll never listen to this. And I don't think I did, but I listened to it this week and it made me laugh. <laughs> it's, yeah, well, you know, we were right. You wouldn't listen to it. You only listened to it because of a global pandemic. So <laughs> a, a, a year in as well. <laughs> A year into that as well, yeah. Major earth-shattering event. Uh, what have I done since July 2019? Frankly, um, I, I'm going to focus on the lockdown component of that because 2019, I definitely finished a Fire Slayers Army, which I then sold. And that is actually going full circle to where we are today. Is linked, actually. He's so the biggest a thing... new Fire Slayers Army. Yeah, because why not? <laughs> what? Um, no, I haven't. I haven't, Andy. It's a lie. Um, the... The biggest thing that I've done in lockdown was I had a look at my pile of shame, which is uh, was starting to not be self-contained in the cabinet that I have that is designed to contain my hobby for the sake of my upcoming marriage. And um, I realized I was getting a bit suffocated by the by the the kind of piles of stuff that I wasn't going to use. So I set myself some really clear goals and. I picked three systems that I like, the main three systems I play, Warcry, AOS, and Necromunda. I picked one project for each of those systems um, of sorts-ish. Necromunda, not so much because they're all micro projects, so I kind of could get over it. And then I actually sold off everything else that didn't fit into that category, which was great because I got a little bit of money back. Lovely, that's always happy, particularly when you got a wedding, aforementioned wedding to pay for. But the net result of that was I actually became more productive. So what have I painted? I have. Before you start saying that, though, I just have to interrupt and say that is way too adult. I'm not sure I can continue with the podcast. Yeah, I was <laughs> way too adult. I felt unwell listening to that myself. Way too adult. I've never been accused of that. I mean, I mean that's you, like you own a house like, and you're engaged, right? Yeah. I mean, that's like mature uh, and stuff. I mean, managing your great not, pile. I, like, oh my god. I, I don't think it. Melting. I don't think. I don't. I don't think it's. I don't think it's. I don't think it's ultimately mature. But it's. I mean, it meant I went back to an army that I've had since the day I've had Caradron Overlords since they literally came out. I pre-ordered them and they're still not done. So and that so and I just had to have a bit of a word with myself about that's not okay. So I've been painting those and I set myself a goal to get 2000 points painted with an extra 1000 points at least built so I could use that because uh, I think we're going to talk about some list building a little bit later. Um, and I've achieved that and I'm really happy and it's and it's awesome. And the, and the thing is, as we all know, if you get you get on the bandwagon with a paint scheme, right? And I've used a very specific couple of collection of airbrush techniques and palettes with this KO, uh, be it blue and orange and all the ships have got a, a clean half and half separation of those colors, which I'll, I'll post some stuff up on Twitter. You may have seen it already. Um, you forget actually how you were doing that. So if you leave it too long, you can see the time gap, but you can see the time lag in the outputs right because some of the models yeah. don't look the same or at least you, you, you i'll notice it anyway so it's been really great to get back and get that done um, i'm really happy with that and the other big thing has been um necromunda uh and getting 
I, I, I saw all this big piles of Escher stuff that I was never going to paint, so I got rid of that. I focused on my Orlocks. We're doing the Ashway stuff, which we should definitely talk about in narrative. I think we should absolutely have a conversation about that. Um, and I've now got the buzz kills, as they're known, um, pretty much done. Uh, bar I have to just paint the few models that came out in the new box set, uh, the the uh, with the Cyber Mastiffs and the um, uh, the Wreckers, um, and then yeah, I, I'm in a good place with that system as well. And then Warcry was just like catacombs because it's a way better system. I'm just finding it's much more fun and um, balanced internally. You're, you're playing that with Sarah, right? I am. Yeah, I've actually managed to persuade her. So she did always dabble in Blood Bowl mm. a little bit, and I think it's because. I, the way I surmised it is that I think the subject matter of Blood Bowl, because it's football and it's sports and you're using that, that kind of terminology. Sports. A bit more, sports. I'm do gonna the thing, the win ball. the points. You're going to do the tackle and, and do the touchdown and yeah. the fouls. So you weren't saying, I'm going to cast Mystic Shield with my wizard because that's the I think that's the barrier to access for her, to be honest. Um, but actually, <laughs> she's had a lot... She's had a lot of fun with 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 Warcry, um, and I, we actually started a little campaign, which was cool. Um, we and when there was the little weird interim bits in lockdown, where we, you could you know you could go to a bar in your own household, it was quite nice to take that to a pub and just like and stick stick it on the table and stuff, which is like, I guess a, a kind of unique angle for GW with that game, right? It comes back to the whole yeah, um, it's got to fit on a coffee table ethic, which they seem to be pushing really hard on some of the new project lines. I'm quite a big fan of that. I always remember that the coffee table that you had in Peckham was the exact dimensions of a Blood Bowl pitch. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, I Um, measured it in the shop. (laughs) Brilliant. Um, So yeah, that's I I basically I've gone super deep into Necromunda to the extent that I've designed. um, I mean, admittedly, Rick Priestley did most of the heavy lifting on the on the rule set that I've landed on, but we I've, I've kind of put together a an ash waste expansion for us to, to have a go with. We've um, at least you and I, Adam have been building models for that. And I oh, yeah. circled back round to my first AOS army of new a of like new AOS models and actually got that done. So I'm actually quite sitting here today and quite happy actually I'm output wise. <laughs> yeah. So Adam, let, circling back round to you then, what, what have you been up to in 2019 since we last slagged you off publicly on a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, two, 2019 wasn't a super productive year for me, I guess. Um, I'd done some commission work for the Pink Ghosts, uh, hashtag Pink Ghosts, earlier in the year and actually towards the end of the year as well, as since we last spoke in a podcast, all three of us uh, were part of a six-man team that went down to Cardiff to the Firestorm Falls, believe it or not, over a year ago, still oh, my more word, recent yeah, than the last podcast. Uh, oh my, my word of course that was over a year ago yeah so i i finished up a cavalry wing for andy's pink ghosts the hex race performed pretty well maybe we'll talk about that event on a future episode i, I know it's historic but it was it was such fun for listener really context well sorry i'm going to interrupt you for listener Dude. context if you haven't listened to us before or you need a bit of a recap um andy just spoke about how slow a painter he is so the value to adam is that he then gets paid <laughs> to paint andy's backlog uh, and the pink ghosts are very much probably one of the, the 
the most prolific projects of uh, that that you've commissioned um, Adams do, aren't isn't it, Andy? So yeah, and you know we have to we have to recognise history here. I mean, some of the great artists, Da Vinci, Michelangelo, they all designed the work, right? They did the heavy lifting in terms of design, and then they just got someone else to paint the damn stuff, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and that tradition carried on right right through the Renaissance all the way up to you know Peter Paul Rubens, Van Dyck. Absolutely, totally agreed. And and the pink I know pink who all these people are <laughs> is fully cribbed from from Andy, but I'm quite happy to, so pay to Andy, replicate it. Andy, are you describing yourself as a AOS architect? A visionary. Uh, I, I no, no, I'm not. But <laughs> but he but, has looked at a colour wheel in history, which is more than yeah, most I've hobbyists. looked at a colour wheel. I just I mean, like everyone has their thing, right? In in how they paint. I mean, Adam is quite has a very distinctive style. Like if I if I walk around a room, I know which army is Adam's just because of the way he paints, right? It's the one with monsters in it. <clears throat> it's the one with monsters in it. It's the one with a lot of freehand and a lot of paint texture rather than three D model texture, right? Mm. I I like I like That's picking odd, I like picking odd colors, right? I like painting things in a scheme that you don't expect, right? Pink ghosts, green corn, um, yellow necrons. No, sorry, yellow necron single. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so it's just everyone has their thing, right? And it, that's just what I enjoy doing. I like thinking about a color scheme that someone, that's going to draw someone eye and they're going to go, oh, I've never seen it done that way before. And I have to say... Um, collaborating with the overcolor schemes is is really fun and i've enjoyed that we've we've not done many but there have been a few angel wargamers hangouts um particularly for the games workshop previews that they've been doing on twitch we've kind of hung out on discord and and done some painting um and and even even back pre-pandemic um some of you might have seen or remember my free guild general on griffin and that literally yeah came together as we've said before on the one on the, the show. one as featured on warhammer community yeah, long time ago now, 2018. Yeah. But yeah, that was before the world imploded. Uh, yes, um, and the color scheme for that was very much a conversation with you about uh, if I did this, what other colors could I use? And you were like, these ones, no one does this. Can you make yellow look good with purple and green? And I was like, I don't know. So let's do it. Um, so I've I've very much been a hobby butterfly since then. Um, I painted Tamakan before he became a legend. Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, like so that's such unfortunate like timing. just before. <laughs> yeah, about about 10 days before he disappeared from the game. But then the game disappeared as well. So, you know, never mind. Um, I painted a couple of test models for a Flesh Eater Court Splister Skin Army, which I'm very keen to come back to. Um, it's actually oh, quite yeah. quick and replicable with quite um, like Blood for the Blood God wings blending into um, kind of dark brown and black with stippling and then very pale flesh um kind of highlighted all the way all the way up to white with kind of blue mottling um i got as far as doing the arch region and um building some vargeists out of the um forge world whatever they are ruined storm demons or something the 30k demons that they did i don't know what they're called um but yeah so i did that and then i didn't do very much hobby at all during the first lockdown because it was so massively depressing um so i painted my dnd character up um, and I painted, um, we're going to talk a little bit more about D&D later, or at least how we've been playing it, if not that much detail on the campaign itself. Um, Matt and Heather got me um, the Dungeons and Doggies 
thing from Steamforge Games, which is quite cool. So you have all the Dungeons and Dragons archetypes as dogs. So I've got a Dachshund rogue, which I painted up, which is really good fun. Like so small, so really. Has, has Holly had any influence in the color schemes and palettes for the little dogs? Because I feel like no. that's. You know, really? I thought she was going to be she's really like, interested and I painted it and she was like not Dachshund interested. Obsessed. Yeah. And then she saw it recently and was like, oh, I love that. And I was like, I painted this a year ago and you like barely spoke to me about it. And she's like, oh yeah, it's one of my favorite things you've done. I was like, feel free to share that. (laughs) Um, And then I've done another commission for Mr. Burton. So I've painted a lot of iron jaws, Um, not just any iron jaws, but I'll I'll let Andy talk to you a bit more about his iron jaws uh, a little later on in the um, match play session. We're going to talk a bit about, um, a bit about lists and stuff in there. What I'm currently work on, working on is kind of twofold. First of all, big shout out to uh, Jimbo from the Mitzi and Jimbo show and Eat Bats. Um, I realized that it was going to be very difficult for me to cast my own resin bases because I'm in a flat on the 32nd floor and you need good ventilation. Um, but Jimbo uh, very, very kindly cast me up some uh, icy bases um, based on um, a tutorial i found online by a german painter whose first name is orally and i cannot remember her surname i'm afraid it begins with an s but she's on twitter um and yeah i'm doing beast claw raiders with a bit of a twist i didn't like the mornfang models so i've replaced them with thunderwolves from the space wolves um and i've blended in kind of uh the blood bowl ogres because they're much more dynamic um and some heads from the necromunda ogryn team and um made my icebrow hunter out of a um ogroid thaumaturge and the monsters are yeah i'll i'll share progress books so for myself i've been working on beast color raiders and have made a decent amount of progress i've painted four Monfang, um and the hunter and i don't know something else oh a saber tusk singular um and then i've just picked up a big big lord of the rings commission so i'm painting 96 orcs there's as many there's as many models in that box as there was extras actually in the show. I think pretty much, yeah, yeah. yeah. They just copied and pasted them right from a distance and added some <laughs> some smoke. Um, so I've got all of, I think all of the Ringwraith sculpts that there are. Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't know Middle Earth strategy battle game well enough. But yeah, 90, 96 orcs, twelve Warg riders, twenty of the I don't know what they're called, Morgul knights or something. Um, and then two of the kind of winged Nazgul as well. Um, and that's for starters. If I can crack through this, there might even be a Smaug on the horizon, um, which I would be pretty excited by. So, yeah, suddenly, after a year of relatively slow output, um, apart from the Necromunda stuff for Ash Wastes, which we'll talk about more later on, um, I've suddenly had to paint quite a lot. So I've done a Warg Rider and three... Um, I'm not sure which orcs they are. These are the... Moranan orcs as opposed to the Morgor orcs and um yeah they're the nice sculpts I have I yeah. actually forgot to say my bit I had I did paint the contents of the Pelennor fields set oh yeah because I actually forgot I just completely forgot about that it's been uh, a long I, time <laughs> yeah um they are they are beautiful to paint they're a really great example of um how simple but well-defined texture um can actually just look really good innately on its own and you don't because i know citadel's thing is you know you've got to have i want to see every pendant and every chain and every jewel etc because they've got the tech to do it i think these models are sufficiently old enough and they had a slightly different 
kind of profit margin they were going for to keep Newtline Cinema happy, weren't they? Which is why they're a tad smaller. You get more bang for your buck on the sprue. Um, but they paint up beautifully. They, 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 and with, with, I found with very little effort, admittedly, I'm probably not doing it as nice, did it as nicely as you're going to yeah. do it. It's a know? different design aesthetic as well, right? They were, they were designed to look like the movie, not yes. push the boundaries of miniature design. Yeah. They, yeah. they, they look like, they like theatrical, I, I, the, the kind of theatrical. Well, they're they're, wearing, they're right? almost, having, having painted a few today, that they're, they're almost like historical war games miniatures. They're, you know, they're 25 mil scale. Their realistic proportions and textures, and although, of course, I'm painting Mordor orcs and ring rates and things, they, as you say, are based on costumes worn by actors. I haven't, you yeah. know, I haven't been sent to Balrog, um, and although the the winged nightmare that the Nazgul is on is a fantastical beast that was computer generated, the shots with the rider in were an actor in a suit. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I, I think you're absolutely right. It's very well reflected in the range. And um, yeah, I painted a couple of the um, forces of good heroes for myself, uh, including uh, Gamling, a royal standard bearer on horse, and um, Aragorn as King Elisar. Um, and they're just wonderful. They're redoing a lot of the hero models in plastic at the moment. Um, and they're, they're doing an amazing, amazing job. Um, I think that probably concludes our introduction. Um, I thought we'd run slightly longer uh, as we've been away for a long time. We're going to take a short break before coming back with uh, matched play. Welcome back. Um, we're in our matched play section. Um, we're going to try to stick to our three categories that we had in season one, but perhaps a bit more loosely that now that Matt's moved to the other side of the world. Uh, <laughs> Andy's very kindly muted. Ouch. Himself. Yeah, there he is. Uh, we're actually recording <laughs> over Zoom uh, at the moment. And um, so we've got webcams on. So you might not be able to hear, but people are laughing. It's very funny. Um, Andy, you sent me a, I was going to say Iron Jaws, but I suppose it's a big war army um, to paint. Uh, do you want to talk us through um, the Auric War Clans list and what decision-making pro- progress and progress process there was in coming up with the army and may- maybe what's in the army as well? Yeah, so, so take, a, take a step back first, um, because I think the actual army selection for me was the interesting part, because... I got to the end of uh, 2019. Um, as, as mentioned previously, we had some uh, good fun at a team event with my uh, Nighthorn army, Pig Ghosts. Um, had super fun, killed Archaeon, um, smashed up a couple of rogue idols. It was very good fun. Um, and I, I kind of, I got, I still love that army and I still want to play it, right? I, I understand it. I've got what I think of as a kind of special snowflake list that I enjoy playing. But at the same time, I wanted an army that was just different. And I, I just got to that point where I was like, I want something different. I don't have the time to do it. What am I going to do? And I sat down and I I even bought a couple of battle tomes and read through them and looked at the different ones. And I was like, I was just looking for something Go what, ahead, what were you considering? Yeah, so I, I looked at, so what did I look through? I looked at um, Daughters of Cain. I looked at um, Ideneth Deepkin. And I was looking for a list that was easy to play, not broken, themey in its way. So, like, I looked at Ideneth and I was like, 
I want to run a normal ident, in quotes, normal IDNF army with actual people in it rather than just eels um, and a tortoise because it's fun and laser sharks because, you know, in a year's time, they're going to be really good. <laughs> they are. Who <laughs> knew? Um, so, so I looked at all those different things and nothing, it just, it, it just didn't feel right. Nothing really came together. And I, I had this, and I was looking for an alternate paint scheme as well, which is my way. Um, and I had an, I had an Auric wall band from Shadespire and I just test painted that and came up with a fun color scheme. And I was like, this is what I'm going to do. So it's a smashy army. It's very different from what I normally play. Um, it's, it's, it's a big elite army, whereas Nighthorn is a bit more, I mean, the way I play it, it's slightly elite, but it's a much more troopy move around army, whereas Auric is like smashing your face army. Um, and that was what it was predicated around. So it was like, how can I do that in the simplest way possible? Um, I totally plagiarized all the team lists from the tournament we'd been at, tried mm. to figure out what they were doing and keep it simple and ended up with three units of 10 brutes because they're cool models and why wouldn't you? Um, as opposed to the Ard boys, which I think are supposed to be the list choice because you get more footprint with them and things they're just slightly different and in quotes better um and and some a mega boss and some heroes uh, that was that was basically what it came down to and i just played around with the the numbers until it worked and threw in a war dock because the war dock at the time a year ago seemed to be the filthy option <laughs> Well, the points haven't changed, have they? So maybe it still is. Talk, talking about points change, I think the one disappointing thing for me in COVID, and this is the last thing I'll, I'll say before I shut up and let you guys speak about your stuff, is um, the one disappointment I had in 2020 was in the 20, so in whatever whatever annual it was, but like the General's Handbook that was live in the end of 2019. Mm. Um, and then we came into 2020 and they, they put Hex Race down 10 points. And I was like, yes, I'm the only person who uses them. This is amazing. Yeah, so you saved like enough for a whole extra hero, right? Yeah, so I was going to put an executioner in my army. I was really excited about it, painting up another model, which, of course, I didn't even pull out of the, or pull off the sprue. Um, but I was excited about painting an extra hero, um, sticking in the army, having fun with it. In the entire intervening time where I was unable to play with actual models, with, with actual real people face-to-face, they put the hex rate points back up, so that awesome. execution can stay on its sprue, <laughs> which is a little bit disappointing for me. But to be fair, they were undercosted. Well, <laughs> so- it, it does look like Nighthorner, Nighthorns are likely to get a new book in the not too distant future. There was that um, new hero tease, during- yeah, which looks super sexy. Yeah, um, I don't. I don't see you. I don't see them doing a new hero because also the. It, it seems to me co- not coincidental at all that the new White King is teased at the same time it feels like death is going to get a lot of attention i think so yeah i mean it's it's there in the narrative right the necroquake stuff is still in the background of all the broken realms that's going on um obviously going into cursed city uh orphan khan there's a huge amount of death stuff happening which i for one am fucking excited about vampires yeah we're, we're sure allowed that. at least one swear aren't we that's we're, allowed, so you... we're allowed multiple swears dude I, I, I by the way i'm sure for our listeners sake the warhammer quest is definitely going to get its own episode at some point when it comes out oh, so. God, yeah. Well, yeah. and i would just say one last thing in closing my call for that is one hero one scenery piece because nighthorn don't have a scenery piece and a book cool 
Yeah, I think that would work. I mean, I personally would never want to add a scenery piece to an army that I own because, oh my God. I had literally the last episode, you guys were talking about how stupid it was that for the last six months they'd been adding army, uh, adding scenery to armies. Yeah. And, you know, a year and a half on, they've added it to all of them. And at least they fixed the fact that you can put them on the table in match play, which at the time of last recording, so, so you silly. couldn't do. <laughs> so silly. Um, I'm disappointed that they are releasing a scenery piece for Lumineth. I thought the army was really clean without it, and I think it's a shame. It's a lovely Um, model. Yeah, sure. It's a nice scenery piece, but don't make it like, don't give it allegiance ability. Like, don't don't force people to buy it. Like, you're a miniatures company. It's beautiful. People will buy it. Like, having it as an essential part of somebody's army doesn't really work. It's not small either. It's a whole KR case, isn't it? If you look at it, as a a fantastic segue to to Alex jumping in, I saw a fantastic um, CG conversion of it into a pizza oven. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, Alex, um, Caradron Overlords, you've told us you finally painted a 2000 point list. Is that a good list or do you have more painting to do? I I actually, I think think... so. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We're talking about Alex here, right? (laughs) (laughs) What? <laughs> what? I'm sure it's a great list. It's a nice list. It's look. I think so. When I first picked up Caradron, I genuinely picked him up, and it was a pure aesthetic, like because I, I love steampunk and I'm a Duardin fan. So those two things went obviously hand in hand. Um, but th- this 2000 point list is the list that I first wrote for for the for the second edition Battle Tome uh, back when that came out, and that was what the start of 2020 wasn't it It was just after christmas um oh yeah 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 because yeah. I, I remember i pre-ordered it in helsinki i think i remember being in the in the it's snow good thing you, you'll have got loads of games in with that i've got i've two all of two um but and it, when the book first came out it there was a it barrack zifflin basically ended up being which if you remember the infamous clown car um from the first edition battle time and it was the reason i didn't paint the army actually because the book just felt a bit clumsy and it just it it didn't really flow in a way that i wanted to use on the table and you weren't making friends on the table either with a clown car like people hated playing against it which at a certain point becomes rubbish for you as the pilot right well if you look at some stats recent stats carriage and overlord still rank pretty highly on negative play experience but i think that's primarily just because of the sheer volume of teleports i thought we Um, didn't have any stats for age of sigma Oh no, numb zero. Sorry, I made that mm. up. I dreamt that it was self-flagellation. Anyway, um, so the list is basically so it it, it ended up being a Barrack Zifflin list again because when the new second edition book first dropped, you had a bit of a, a an issue with um, list building in the sense of it kind of because of the way the battalions were written, i.e., um, the Iron Sky Command and the access that the new hero gave, the new Endrim Master with Dirigible Suit gave you access to, gives you access to Endrim Riggers' battle line. Um, yes, I'd forgotten all, that was new. Yeah, all lists went down one of two routes, and that was either I want minimum drops with lots of with lots of balloons because that utilises the Iron Sky Command Battalion to its most fullest effect because you have Endrim Riggers innate in the War Scroll Battalion, and then you stick the Dirigible Suit guy and make him the um, the commander, um, and all of a sudden you've got um, a, a one possibly two drop um, KO list, or you went the other side, which I think um, 
uh, Harry, um, uh, Mr. Kane made very famous in uh, one of the northern, last Northern Irish tournaments to go ahead. You go high drop. <laughs> Were you going to say Harry Kane? Yeah. <laughs> That's a footballer. I know. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I know something about sports. Um, and uh, uh, you go high drop frigates with um, lots of teleport capacity and you go kind of your Barrack-Nar route with that. And it, so, and the added layer on top of that is then you've also got the Skyport to pick, which gives you unique artifacts. In fact, so anyway, it, the, what I think GW had in mind is it was going to create this huge variation in list building. And actually, it funneled you up of one of two routes, basically, if you wanted to, you know, we are in the match play section. So if you wanted a competitive list, that was kind of what was happening. Mm. So I went with what I think most KO players would see now as a very basic 2K Barrack Ziffling list, but it did contain my favourite artefact in AOS ever, which was the spell in a bottle. So good. Which is so good, because from a narrative point of view, and this is probably what inspired me to pick <laughs> a paintbrush on these guys again, the idea that uh, Ether Chemist had also become like um, endless spell Ghostbusters. I'm was- calling it now. Alex Amazing. is a secret Stardust fan. <laughs> it's not. There's nothing secret. <laughs> um, like, I know like we had game. we had quite a few conversations back at the beginning of 2020 because um, obviously the book had come out around about the time that we then went to Brotherhood, um, and so the conversations in the hotel and drunkenly in pubs around Cardiff were largely about what spell are you going to put in your bottle? So yeah. what, what have you gone for? Okay, so I did originally want to have the um, Drake, I can't remember what it's called, Drake Fire uh, oh, the, the Slaves to Dark. Demon spell. Fire Dark Rift? Some Demon Rift, Drake Fire, something like that. Yes, that. Mouth with Flame. The um, Slaves to Darkness one. The what? That's the one because it did an insane amount of damage, because you normally you anticipate you're only going to have the spell drop for one turn before it's gone. Um, and I, also it, in a meta that at that point had the original Hedonites of Slanesh book, which has obviously been out for ages, yeah. um, and Changehose coming back in, throwing that, if I've got the spell right, at an army that is basically wizard. a wizard. It would be it really good against um, Lumineth now, for example. It would, but it went up in points. And so when it went, when the points flipped, I couldn't get it in there anymore. So, okay. um, so the original list had that. Um, and I sadly never got it on the table. Actually, that's not true. I did get it on the table. I had to proxy it, but that's a different story. So actually, I have just gone with a classic purple sun. Awesome. <laughs> and the reason being, I actually think you've got to deal with it. And it's it's board control. It's massive. It can, mm. And it can really plug you up. But I I have to tell you what I'm really excited about is the new um, K-Knight spells. So the snake is ginormous. That, and it's 40 points. It's ginormous, right? So yeah. the rest of the list is three groups of engine riggers, shooty, shooty, um, big boat, uh, ironclad, sorry, with the um, the engine rigger and, and sorry, the engine riggers and the uh, engine master in dirigible suit, mm-hmm. the chemist with the spell bottle and a um, navigator because the half charge, half movement and dispel is now really, really potent, particularly if you're teleporting with that. It's, it's, it's really great. Um, but then layer on top, um, I think I've seen something. I'm not sure if it works because I haven't picked up the new DOK, but, but the Sword Storm, the moment mm. that goes down, it's a 12-inch area of effect and nothing in that area effect gains the benefit of cover. 
Okay. Now, if you're pushing up lots of um, guns and you can be nine inches away, guaranteed with those guns. Yeah, reducing well, saves. It's an extra rend, isn't it? It's an extra rend. And nice. the one thing that Caradron can be frustrating for, appreciate they are a great army, so I'm not complaining, but their Achilles heel is low volume of attacks, but high damage. So you need you need people to be failing those saves to get your damage three, to get your damage two through, because it's going to be low volume, right? Do you see what, do you see what yeah. I mean? Um, yeah, makes sense. And, and so suddenly the that sword wind, and I, I don't know if anybody else has picked this up, and maybe I'm talking bollocks and call me out in on, on Twitter or in the comments if you need to. But I think there's something there for 40 points. And then that gives me some cash back. Yeah. Which, um, which is quite frustrating with Carriage and Overlords because there's nothing to spend it on. But maybe there's an ally, like a little cheat wizard or something to get in. Try so that. Or try or yeah. How many how many points have you got left over? Because something like um ether wings could be useful as a as a blocker or as an okay. objective grabber. So purple sun is 50 points, right? Mm. Uh, yes, it is. I'm just on scroll builder. If sword, sorry, if the sword storm or whatever it's called, I can't remember the proper name. Apologies. If that's 10 points cheaper as it stands, which puts me at 1960. Yep, 40 points for uh, two, two or three ether wings. Yep. Um, that's yeah, six six wounds, fast objective grabber. Yep. For my money, that's what you want. And so, and so the list is the Iron Sky Command for one drop, an additional Grunstock gun hauler. Sorry, two Grunstock gun haulers, one with the collapsible compartment, so you can get um, your navigator in there to be a nuisance with his dispel. Nice. Um, and then the sword, and then the sword storm, and potentially some ether wings, or um, to do some objective grabbing late game. So um, yeah, I'm quite excited for it, and that's all painted for once in my life. Hey, dogs haven't bought it. So, nice yeah. one. Yeah. That sounds really good. Um, I'm not necessarily looking forward to playing against them because um, the army I've been building does not like shooting at all. <laughs> <laughs> so come on, you've been you've been converting up this um, frankly beautiful BCR list. Thank you. Um, I think the conversion you missed out for me earlier was the Mutalif Vortex conversion. Oh yeah, sure. Um, so I'm I'm doing Beast Claw Raiders, or rather, I'm doing Ogre More Tribes, and everything in the list is from what was Beast Claw Raiders. Yeah. Um, I've always wanted a Beast Claw Raiders army. I think they're super cool. The Stonehorn was one of the few kind of crazy big monsters in 8th edition that didn't make me kind of go, Warhammer is supposed to be ranked up with, with <laughs> single miniatures and these big monsters are not good for the game. You know, yeah, but I know that you and Hinton still think that. <laughs> um, I've, I've heard that Ninth is a good game. Donal and Tom were saying so in the chat. Um, I'll take I, your mouse mat, mouse mat scenery and go and write another well, if, a, if a ginger man says it it must be true <laughs> I've got, actually I've gone grey Andy so you know <laughs> um, so yeah I, I, I really like Beast Claw um, I was never going to do them while Draconis was a thing because it's the same list but it flies um, and true actually I just so actually um, we need to talk about that we need to get that off your chest don't we because there's something else. They're happened. gone. And do you know what? Um, if we'd recorded an episode a year ago, I, I might have cried. Um, but honestly, I don't care. I didn't even, I spent a year without them even being in the same building as me. So, you know, what? Now you just feel liberated, right? 
I really do, to be honest. Uh, I mean, it'd be nice in my current financial situation if somebody wanted to buy an Order Draconis army, but of course they don't exist anymore. Mm. So well, I'll have to I, talk to some Ninth Ages and do some square basing. I, don't know, um, I think there's going to be a Malekith book at some point that you might Yeah, to, there will uh, be. And we'll we'll get Tyrion for Lumineth at some point, whether it's this second book that definitely didn't need to, <laughs> to wait so long to come out since the you, first You're not one. going to feel quite so liberated when I shackle one and then kill one of your other ones with with Verd, with Kurdros in one hit. <laughs> well, you know, this is this is it. And um, shackles is something that I used to take in my Draconis list when I when you when you know <laughs> Collegiate Arcanum used to exist. So uh, you could add, not Collegiate Arcanum. What was the Eldritch Council? Eldritch you know, Council, take take yeah. a dragon mage and uh, cast shackles, and then your two dragon lords and battalion can just kill Beast Chlorodus. Two things have happened since then. One, Eldritch Council no longer exists, uh, and by extension, neither does Draconis. And two, Ogamore tribes got a new book and yes. are ridiculously good. You don't yeah. need two Frost Lords to kill somebody else's army, so you can shackles one of them. Um, I love the models. As Alex said, I've been converting them. So um, I had this kind of crazy idea. I saw some kind of um, actually Finnish style trolls on Instagram on a very dark skin with kind of like moss growing on their shoulders and stuff, which I, I really liked. I thought they looked really... I, um, classic folklore troll. Exactly, yeah. So okay. I thought they looked really gritty and really interesting and and and, and importantly, quite contrary to what I'd been painting, mm. right? I have I used to be a chaos player. I've painted Destruction for Andy, although it's quite bright colours, and I've been painting Death as well in, in kind of more pastel colours with the pink and whatever. And I thought, right, I want to do something different um actually the color scheme isn't a million miles away from my eighth edition warriors of chaos army in that it's very snow themed but i thought you know if i'm going to do beast claw raiders i'm going to lean into the idea of the everwinter i mentioned before the ice bases and i'm topping those off uh, so they're kind of transparent and blue um kind of icy and i've put valhalla and blizzard uh, texture paint on top holly made a very good point that the snow would actually settle between the rocks and not be so much on top on a glacier i was like that's a very, that's very well observed so that I've doesn't actually, look as good so but it actually it actually does so um she's yeah. also paying attention yeah right um it has Dude. been a weird year <laughs> um so yeah so i've got the the list is uh, you know again and this 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 seems like it's almost a bit of a theme and i don't know how i would have felt about this 18 months ago but not to say that your guys lists are net lists at all but from what you've said we're listening to what people are talking about and what is good. I remember that what we very much wanted to do last year was go to, I can't remember which web event it was, but I think it was either Bobo or the Essex GT in 2020, neither of which happened. Um, and I think the Essex GT was going to be your stag do, Alex. It was, yeah. Sure, um, was. Which still hasn't so, happened for listener reference. No. So. <laughs> um, so one of the reasons, uh, as I recall, that Andy wanted to do a big smashy kind of 34 model Iron Jaws list was... It's quick to play. We can we can get the beers in, <laughs> and I can play it while drunk. Exactly. Um, <laughs> That's why and I had fire slayers because you move four, stand in the middle of the table, and stand there for, for yeah. three further turns. Exactly. <laughs> um, and my and my experience of going to events like Bobo and stuff before was the guys running big monster flesh eater courts before they were ridiculously good. The guys running Beast Claw Raiders. They were having a lot of fun, and I enjoyed competing with Draconis, and I enjoyed competing years before that with Sylvaneth and subsequently doing my best ever with Cities of Sigmar uh, Living City. It was kind of my best match play performances. Um, 
I just want to play some games with people and mm. with the people, right? The rolling dice is great and it'll be nice to see stuff on the board. But I was like, what's the lowest number of models I can have in an army that I can paint to the best of my ability during this, you know, separated time? So I've basically gone for a netlist. So I'm running, um, there have been a few iterations. I have to say thanks both to George Newbold, uh, who I'm hoping to have on at some point on AngelCast to talk about Inquisitor in greater depth than we will do today. Yeah. Um, and also Donal, as well as the uh, the Ogre WhatsApp group. Um, I looked at Yolbad or Jewelbad, J-O-R-L-Bad, which is um, a Huskard on Stonehorn, uh, two to three units of uh, Mornfang Cavalry or Mornfang Rider. They were Mornfang Cavalry in 8th edition. I don't actually know what they're called. I think the book's on this table somewhere, whatever. Um, And a Stonehorn Beast Riders, which if you have a Beast Claw Raiders General, becomes battle line. So um, rather than the Bemoth, Bemoth. So um, the same exact force organization is also a Yurlbad, E-U-R-L-Bad. the first one, you get uh, an extra D6 move for each unit at the start of your first hero phase, I believe, um, which on paper, as an extra Conus player, I thought, yeah, 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 movement, great, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, one inch is not helpful. Uh, six inches is also not is often it, that helpful. Is there anything in the books to get a modifier on that, or is it... No, it's, it's just basically just the rampaging destroyers from the old Grand Alliance right. destruction. Um, yeah. So, you know, not, not super useful, and also importantly doesn't include the frost lords oh really yeah because they're not in the battalion it's the ah. Hus- it's the huskard plus battle line essentially which is cool because it means that you're very low drop with these claw raiders um can you, sorry, so can you remind me what sorry can you remind me what the huskard is again he is a kind of a hero level rather than a lord level to use old parlance character on a stonehorn um, or right, you can you. you can take one on um, a Thunder Tusk, but the general opinion is that Thunder Tusks kind of suck currently because um, they don't do six wounds auto snowballs anymore. No, uh, they do not. Uh, the Huskard is basically not very good. He's three hundred and twenty points. The Stonehorn Beast Riders, which is the uh, battle line one is better for 300 points. It's not a hero, and that matters in some scenarios, but basically the guy on top is a single ogre on a monster, and the monster is the same as the monster that has two ogres on it, two shooting attacks, and twice as many attacks. So you've got those guys. And in the Yurlbad, um, which is the one I've landed on, um, for every six to hit for units in the battalion, um, you make an additional mortal wound. So you still roll your to wound and you still roll your damage and whatever, but you get an additional uh, mortal wound on a six. Um, and mortal wound output is, is pretty key in the game and access to it is um, saved for a, you know, a precious few armies generally. Um, high magic. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you've got this amazing thing where you uh, do mortal wounds on the charge as well with uh, Beast Claw. Um, you basically roll the number of dice equal to um, the value of your charge um and on monsters on a four up it does a mortal wound and on things that aren't monsters uh so in my list the mornfang it's on a six um it also seems to be that if you're playing beast claw you roll bigger charges than if you are playing another army couldn't tell you why but it must be the same reason that orc cars go faster if they're red um you do you do a lot of mortal wounds on the charge so yeah the list i've settled on is uh six mornfang so three units of two um uh stonehorn beast riders and a huskard because that makes up the battalion and then two frost lords on stonehorn 
the battalion gives me an additional uh, artifact. So the general has a nice touch of the red stuff. Uh, that means that you basically get an extra three inch pile in. So you can pile in six inches with people wholly within 12 of him, which is crazy. It's wholly within and it's monsters. So you can't always leverage it. But if you want to hit a line, you know, you hit the line. Uh, so uh, for example, the other day I killed 20 Grimgast Reapers and then piled into Nagash, who was a, a comfortable six inches behind. Uh, yeah, Alex. Um, how's that interacting with pinning? Because obviously in AOS 2, pinning's become a big thing. So what I'm thinking is you can go into either side, pin, that reduces, and then you've got your six inches to carry on the momentum with the pin, or are you moving through the pin into the back line? Depends on your opponent entirely. You know, if they if they have a screen, you probably kill the screen with your charge if you multi-charge it. If you've got two stone horns going in with an average of seven inches, you're doing uh, three and a half mortal wounds for each of them. Um, it tends to be a bit higher than that, I've found. Um, so you, you're doing probably seven mortal wounds to them if you get two things in, maybe more. And actually that gets rid of at least a lot of the board coverage of screens. Um yeah, so you, you then pile into whatever's behind it. Um, the artifacts I've gone for are just really standard. It's basically a net list. As I said before, I wanted to get something that looked pretty and smashed face, and I didn't have to think about too much. So there's not a wizard. If you've got your shackles, you can shackle one of my monsters and we'll have a beer. Um, that's, that's how I feel about it, ultimately. Um, the general... Um, that's has... a, that's a, someone who ran Gotrak for a fair amount of time. <laughs> yeah. <that way>. yeah. <laughs> Uh, the general's got an artifact called the Splatter Cleaver, which is just like an AOE heal. So if he's killed a model, all models wholly within 12 of him get D3 wounds back at the end of the phase. So you you charge him into the chaff wall and he just heals your army up in the same way that the scenery piece does. Andy? I'm, I'm actually quite looking forward to playing that with my he- with, with my Nighthorn, my Hex Race. It's mm. all about the Hex Race. Um, it is. Because, the, I mean, uh, apart from... Uh, Kudros, Kudros, Kudros. I always get the wrong. Kudros Valentin. Mm. Um, pretty like because I I played um, Donal when he was running an, a Thrill Stonehorn. Um, yes. And clipped one wound off with something. I can't even remember what it was. He charged into Kudros with with one wound down. He charged. He did a couple of wounds. I turned around and one shot him. <laughs> through ethereal and it was like the most epic combat i think i've ever rolled i think that um, was in your flat testing it, it for, was in um, test, testing for the team oh, i remember that yeah. yeah it was amazing it was so funny Donald was like it's not supposed to do that <laughs> well mathematically it, it doesn't oh um, it absolutely doesn't i mean i hit with everything and it's three wins <laughs> a pop right so but um no i mean like having had this some there's some pretty big things have bounced off those hex rates, right? Um, um, Archaon charged 15 hex race, bounced off, and I killed him in three combat phases. Yep. Um, I've killed a couple of GUOs in a single turn. Um, I've killed two rogue idols in in four combat phases, I think. Um, so they're just they're just super resilient, right? You, you, and they, you and killed, they grow back. You, you... You killed twenty fully powered up half guard berserkers in two turns, I think, with them. Yeah, so they're, they're they're pretty. They're really they, good. They can be pretty disgusting, especially when you when you teleport them across the room and then roll nice to charge. That's quite epic. <laughs> right. So it's a similar thing with my list. You're fishing for big charges, and then when you go in, um, so I've given the Mornfang, the Culling Clubs, and uh, Iron Shield things. 
rather than the big two-handed rend weapons because more attacks means more mortal wounds. Yeah. Um, you know, the more attacks you have, the more sixes you can roll, and the more right. sixes you can roll, the better. Yes. Um, yeah, so the, gen- the general is on a um, black clatterhorn stonehorn, um, which basically just buffs the mount attacks, which means that you're more likely to kill a model and therefore you're more likely to heal everyone around you. Um, and then the other the other frost lord has the rune tokens which i have to remember because i massively cheated against kieran the other day only allows you to re-roll hits and wounds for the rider not for the stonehorn itself because if you re-roll the stonehorn then you kill nagash in one shot and you have to concede an entire stonehorn to say sorry um and then still win anyway Um, i mean i think kieran should i think you should just be grateful for the fact that you know i mean getting to a combat phase with kieran is that's a major event, right? Yeah, and I let him go first as well. Bloody hell. <laughs> I quite like his new list, but it's terrible because Nagash needs a new book quite desperately. Legions of Nagash. Obviously, he's he quite good in Bone Reapers. He is um, getting a new book, 100%. Yeah. And then the final artifact is just Metal Cruncher. Um, so if your opponent has an armor save of 2, 3, or 4 plus at the start of the combat phase, because uh, this is kind of a book from the tail end of the activation wars, you just do D6 mortal wounds. So you charge in and you do an average of 7 mortal wounds, and then you do D6 mortal wounds, and then you slap them about with <laughs> arguably an underpointed monster hero that can reroll <laughs> to hit and wound and save one turn uh, game. There's not enough data to substantiate that claim. No, 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 no. Um, and I actually don't think that they should go up in points because you would, like they did last time, remove Beast Claw from the game. And as we've discussed, if someone's running Yolbad or Yolbad, they don't, they haven't really got a wizard. And even if they have got a wizard, it's terrible. Yeah, you know, it'll kill you in combat, unlike most wizards that aren't eight hundred points. But shackles, palisade, all this stuff is just making your life a nightmare, especially now that malign sorcery artifacts have gone right. Ethereal Stonehorn doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yes. Realm of Fire cape, the Akshi cape, whatever that was called back in the day, doesn't exist. So you're oh, not right, flying out. Of, thank you. You're not flying out of shackles. You're not unbinding it. No. You're just running forwards with a herd of ice cows and smashing into people. And if they're dead by turn two, you've won. And if they're not, then you've probably won anyway because your models count as 10 and theirs don't. And I've, I kind of feel like it forces people to consider some of the older metrics of the game. Frustration of movement was originally originally how you won the game and mortal mm-hmm. wound output was originally how you won the game. And then it all became about the activation wars um, or... Uh, more recently, I guess it's um, what's what the phrase got? I'm looking for? I don't know. Uh, shooting endless spells. Sh- shooting, shooting matters. Obviously, uh, you know, a thing that I've decided particularly to engage with. It's um, kind of stacking your saves, etc. As well, right? So save after the save and other bits. Yeah, of which has um, fallen away a bit now because I think you can't stack them anymore. I think that's in the that's in the new GHB. Yeah, yeah, right. So what I'm saying is we're going full circle back to yeah. frustration and movement, which was always a classic tabletop wargaming thing. Yeah, I mean, it's being relevant. So. As Rob was saying the other day, it's no longer the movement phase, it's the teleportation phase. So there are certain armies that ignore that, right? I mean, um, yes, I own that army. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, to, 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 to wrap up, because um, I'd like to move on to it, to another section, Um I think one of one of the things I'm hopeful about with the army is it's going to be fun to play. And um, wizards are only allowed to cast one endless spell now, and you're only allowed three in your list. So, as much as shackles will exist and be out there, um, 
people don't have it in their back pocket in the way that you know gloom spike gits used to be running 12 endless spells and 100 gits and just go right which endless spell do i need to frustrate this opponent i'll hand of gork the gits in the way and then figure out like go through my inventory i'll throw this at them because it it's a cookie cutter right it defeats this thing so there's going to be a game in five that you lose because it's a shit matchup but maybe you dodge it um and i think any any i think that's what the essence of aos is anyway i mean all credit to the people that that you know fight at the higher echelons of the of the of the game but for me any tournament i go to a good list for me is a list I can have fun with that I stand, if I'm going to play five games, I'm probably going to get hard stopped in one of them. And if I can win three of the other four, that's great. And if I could go four, that'd be amazing. Yeah, I, I agree. Like aim, aiming for three is, is, is definitely where I've returned to. So as Alex yeah. says, it's, it's like 2015 all over again. Indeed. If only we knew. Um, We're going to take a short break there and we'll be back with the narrative section. Welcome back. Um, We're going to be talking a little bit more about narrative play now. And actually the pandemic we found has lent quite heavily into that rather than anything else. Um, Before things kicked off, Matt Hinton, who you may remember from previous episodes of Angel Cast, he's like the Troy McClure of uh, the podcasting world for Age of Sigma, um, has moved to Taipei. So we had been doing um, a Dungeons & Dragons campaign uh, subsequent to The Curse of Strahd, which was expertly GM'd by him a few years ago. If you haven't listened to that content, do go back. I listened to it the other day and um, it was super atmospheric. I really enjoyed it. We've been in Waterdeep with a new group of characters. Um, so we're just kind of a bit of a chat about those and then talk about how we've been playing D&D when Matt is in Taipei and also Owen Abram moved to Canada. So how's that all work? Um, Andy, could you introduce your character? Yeah, sure. So um, so in Strad, I played a... Um, a ranger, a, a melee ranger, actually, and ended up having quite a lot of fun with a with a spear that sent me a bit mental, and that was quite good fun. Um, <laughs> to 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 take a different tack um, in Waterdeep, a I decided to play a caster because I hadn't played a caster before, um, and and b I wanted a, a bit more of a, a passive kind of wispy character, so um, I picked out a half elf warlock, um, whose <clears throat> background. Um, was as a as a former city watchman um in the city um and i have a bit of a reveal actually it's a good opportunity to do this i've been holding this back for ages um so um i don't want to spoil um too much of what alex is going to say but um as we were building the story arcs for the characters because matt does an incredibly good job of like building up the 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 feel of the group and how you come together and and how the group forms and and then how you move into the into the the world that he builds around it um and it just so happened that um both alex and i were half elves um and alex suggested that um that um that we were you know we could be siblings and all this and you know and i, I said it was a good idea um, all that kind of stuff. So, um, so the reveal is, um, so the name of the character um, was, I, I, I called him Astron. Mm. Um, and, and the full name was Astron Gare. I don't know whether you guys remember that I actually had a surname. I do not. And, and if you actually write that down, 
in one in one sentence? A stranger. A stranger. Ah. <laughs> ah. <laughs> so I'm sorry, I'm actually not your half brother at all, Alex. I completely just went along with what you thought sounded good. I feel I need to cut in the East Enders ending uh, <laughs> music at that one. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> but I want to know more. Uh, no, we were cousins, I think, weren't we? That was cousins, the, yeah, it was something it. like that. Yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's, it's a time has passed now. But yeah, I've been sitting on that for ages, um, waiting to see if there was a, an opportune time to do it. So I thought, on a podcast, is a good place to do it. Well, colour me surprise. That's breaking news just in. Uh, and we're only on episode one. Alex, um, tell us about your character, formerly believed to be the cousin of Astrid. I mean, he's having an existential crisis at the moment. Um, so uh, he always was. Yeah, he, I, actually, he really was, wasn't he? No, he wasn't. He, he, <laughs> he was happy as happy as the butterflies he aimlessly chases into hedges. Um, you know, you know, you know. I, I read somewhere sometime a long time ago. Depression is a is an ailment of the um, of of the of the more kind of sophisticated people, right? <laughs> yeah. It's very hard to depress when you're thick. Yes. So um, I think what the listeners are probably picking up on is that uh, I picked out a half elf as we was as we were talking about, and he is a or was a half elf druid, um, but and by the name of Alp Bjornbar, and Alp um, had Alp was thick um for want of a better word but it's it wasn't his fault and what i actually wanted to, to, to try and do his backstory which i think i got to allude to in the campaign but if not then maybe this is a bit of a reveal mm-hmm. he actually was um he he had a, a learning impairment he was he was actually um uh, actually suffering from uh the effects of um really traumatic domination spell in his backstory oh, right. and and the um the effects of that was that i wanted to try and play um as a character who was actually really struggling with a with a with a, a mental impairment that just meant he f- literally physically could not interpret the world around him and it wasn't his fault interesting uh, so it wasn't and there was some comical effects of it because I didn't want to, I, I didn't want to, it's, I don't mean that in like a taking the piss kind of way. It's absolutely not what I'm saying, but like it, he was a little bit of light comic relief when he would just do something a bit dumb, but I wanted you to always feel that there was actually conviction behind the things that he was trying to do and he just couldn't necessarily get a grasp of it. And it was um, entirely because of, uh, he because of this. Um, I think spell. you played it fantastically. Yeah. I mean, it was, um, I mean, you came across as really thick. <laughs> no, no, I mean, always... no, I mean, I mean, from an acting perspective, seriously, I think you you spent the time to I did because I I didn't do this right, and I haven't done this, but you you did a fantastic job of coming up with an idea of what you wanted to do and actually portraying it in the room. Which was really... well, I was doing an accent was another whole time as well. So, Adam, you had your hand up. Presumably, you wish to answer ask a question as well. Yeah, no, I was just just saying that it. You know, it, as Andy says, it was it was completely convincing, and it, I think what's interesting within a role play game as well. Is um, particularly as we have approached it as a group of, as you know, we, the the kind of headline of most of our episodes is is matched play. And although, as Andy says, we're not the upper echelons of being good at AOS, like three games out of five isn't far off the pace for most of us most of the time, even with you know not necessarily the meta lists out there. Um, I think it's really rewarding approaching a role playing game and not min maxing and not. Mm. 
um, kind of going, oh, well, if I take this, then at level four, I'll be able to do that. Um, and I, I found it particularly rewarding having um, Alp in the party because ultimately it constantly made situations where as characters, we were really frustrated. But as yeah. you say, the circumstances were then comical for us as a group because there's a, a miscommunication and misunderstanding between people who ultimately have similar goals but the lack of communication or the lack of um, matching worldview is where you create space for character development and space for, well, ultimately space for conflict and growth, which right. is what, you know, as you say, right. Matt, Matt encourages, um, but also what becomes then rewarding because, you know, you could, you could efficiently unravel the mysteries well, of Waterdeep Um but actually doing it less efficiently is more entertaining. So there was two situations, scenarios to that. And again, trying to be brief because I'm, I'm conscious of time and we need to speak speak about your character, Adam. But the yeah. what I was really keen to do with D&D was to have a character that um, actually, as you said, had that kind of conflicting worldview um, through no fault of his own. And it did frustrate you guys, but actually that made it, I think, ultimately a little bit more enjoyable because you also then had to actually start taking care oh, of him. And what yeah. and what I noticed was very it was and it was interesting to see that kind of as a social experiment because as people realized he's not doing this to mess around, he actually just because in in combat he was a tank, he was a, yeah. a druid with shillelagh. And if he went over and hit something, he bloody knew about it. <laughs> but it's did. um but it's when it was like there's a really obvious trap, and he's like Oh, this is fine. There's nothing here. And everyone's like, oh my God, no, come back. Um, don't do the thing. Don't, don't do the thing. And it's uh, and, and I think with D&D, it's really easy to meta yourself out of your impairments as well because he actually had, he was a druid with minus one to nature because the, the spell had yeah. infected his intelligence. That that's, that's We keep saying we're using the word thick. I think we need to be a bit cautious of that because we're also suggesting that it's not his fault. Um and uh, I could have meted my way out of it when you're leveling up because you have a, a chance to add a stat point on, right? Um, yeah. And I could have just, I could have actually evened out the intelligence debuff and, and kind of got him out of it, but I just didn't want to because it was just a really fun dynamic to have to constantly be aware of what he would actually do. I wonder whether so, Matt would have let you. I don't think he would have done, but that, we never had <laughs> yeah. that conversation. Oh, yeah, yeah, no. So it's, it was it, fine. No, you've, you've got the control over it, but Matt, yeah. Matt is a, a quiet but watchful eye on these yeah. things. Um, so my, my character was Gwey, Gweron um, Selenas, who is a uh, tabaxi rogue, which is the cat people, basically. Um, and um, yeah, he was from Waterdeep, unlike some of the characters. Well, I think all of ours were um, Waterdeep res- residents, which wasn't true for the whole party. Uh, which also included uh, Kieran, Donal, and uh, Owen as well. Um, and um, yeah, I, the, the swashbuckler archetype was one um, that I quite liked, a, a rogue, but a rogue that kind of lives in a town, connections to the underworld and all that sort of thing, um, very much on his own kind of private mission. Um, it also gave us um, a lot of opportunity for some slightly more immature jokes about how a person who's also a cat might operate um, so there's a lot of breaking into bathrooms, which I'm not sure how that was linked, but also um, we found a, a lost and found poster for a domesticated cat uh, relatively early on in our Waterdeep uh, games and sessions. And um, Matt had to develop a whole chart 
for me to roll a D100, I think, every time I every time we went to a new street to look for this cat and whether I was finding the right cat or not. Because I'm a... your your method of rogue breaking and entering by knocking on the door and asking if we can use the toilet is yeah. new and innovative, you know. Never and, failed. And the criminal fraternity listening to this podcast should take note. Yeah, like I, at, at no point did anybody say no as well. I know. It was quite. It was, it was quite. But at no point did you actually get into any building you actually wanted to get into. No, sometimes it was buildings we wanted to get into, just we didn't realise that there was no reason at all to be in those buildings, and we hadn't paid attention to the very obvious crime scene, the building over or whatever. I think Matt was kind of like, and if you just looked down the road and be like, yeah, yeah, but this green door is suspicious, and I'm going to talk to the people inside, and he's like scribbling out the name for some like. <laughs> working from home person being like yeah what, what do you want i've got nothing to do with this campaign at all i didn't see or hear anything well that's suspicious we said and in and in we went and Matt's i want to see your bathroom hand. exactly <laughs> i think the the added mechanic in water deep which made that even more hilarious is the fact that there is actual legislation that governs the town and matt was very clear because he the first document we read before we started the campaign was the laws of Waterdeep, and it it added um it added a few sort of restrictions in the game or not restrictions because you could it's ultimately you can do whatever you want but it, it it added risk into the game so you breaking in somebody's house in other modules like strad no yeah. one cares no yeah. one's helping. I mean, no, no one's they're already dead. No, no one's helping that person. I've also been playing Ghost of Saltmarsh recently um, with with some uni friends, and the result of you breaking into somebody's house is probably the same. Yeah, it's, there might be a town's guard that feigns interest, but with Waterdeep, it was there's like griffins that will literally come out of the sky and murk you. So, you see, the way you're describing that now, it's a bit like Zootropolis, where a griffin yeah, yeah, yeah. in a police outfit with a badge will come down. I think yeah. they're actually described as griffin riders. But yes, yes, either way, there are talons and you've broken the law, son. Yeah. yeah. And casting magic as well was risky, right? Because you, you you had to kind of be under license to do that. It was... Um, yeah. So we couldn't just walk around being like, oh, and I'll just mage bolt this thing or whatever like if you did that um and you weren't able to justifiably give context to the town's guard then you go in jail son yep so. indeed um so you mentioned playing this other game obviously that's been during lockdown um i think one of the things that's been interesting for me in the last year is adjusting and we're going to talk about this further in open play with another game but adjusting how we socialize mm. um I, I will have, I've actually got one on Saturday, but it's for my sister's birthday. That's fine. But I would happily never do a Zoom quiz ever again. <laughs> um, what, what platforms have we discovered then? You know, D&D is something that requires social interaction to effectively work. For, for listeners who haven't figured out how to do this, and I'm sure they're in the mi- minority, what, what would you recommend? Um, so I've been... Well, so for Saltmarsh, we've been using Forge, uh, Forge VTT, or The Forge, um, as it is, as it's known. Um, and it's a great online platform for, for playing D&D on. I think you can play other systems on there if your Pathfinder's more your thing or if you've got any other RPGs that you want to try out. Um, and it's just... So my dungeon master for this is Mr. Samuel Crowder, who's um, oh, yeah. one of my oldest acquaintances from university and very dear friend. And he's... Um, 
uh, it's been a very different experience playing under him than than Matt actually, which is in a, in a really cool way, like a variation kind of way. But he loves this software. If you're thinking being a dungeon master, even if you just want to give it a go with your friends for an evening, because you can upload all your maps. There's loads of pre-made maps that you can get your hands on if you don't want to faff around with that, or you can go down a rabbit hole with um, Photoshop and do your own. You can do all your dice rolls in there. I know because this is the bit that's still a bit galling for me. I want to roll my dice. I've, I miss that. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, it's a number generated between 1 and 20, isn't it? And let's face it. Um, you've got a chat facility on there with video if you want it, although we just use Zoom or um, whatever in the background. Mm-hmm. And you can all move your characters around. So it's the closest thing that you're going to get to actually having models on a table being sat around with your friends. And it's been... Um, and actually, the, the net result of that is we've introduced players into the group who live in Lancashire anyway. So um, sure. Sam's sister and her, and, and her partner uh, and, and um, her friend Charlie. So, And we wouldn't be able to play around a table together anyway. So actually, what we've discovered is a really cool D&D group that's come together because of a pandemic, but can continue to be a group because the technology makes it possible. So I can't recommend The Forge enough, actually. To be and honest. that's Forge. How's how's that spell? As in um, the website is forge vtt. That's Victor Tango Tango dot com. Forge dash. Great. Um, we've been using Roll Twenty, which is another uh, option. Um, and Roll Twenty, similarly, we you know we discovered with Waterdeep, didn't we? Um, we were able to continue playing with Matt despite the fact that he's in Taipei and and. Owen, despite the fact that he's moved to Canada. Yeah, um, we, we had more connection issues with my connection in York than we had with Owen, Owen and Matt in um, yeah, we certainly Montreal. Did. Uh, I mean, similar for me in South Yorkshire when I was there. You know, um, the, the internet is better in some places, although I think Moon had uh, good internet put into his building for work, as I understand it, um, as opposed to it having and, and pre-existed. Wow. Uh, it's an added benefit, right? <laughs> Great. Um, so D&D is something you can play online. And that, to me, blew my mind, honestly. Um, I know we've not done it a great deal as a group lately, and perhaps we won't during the rest of the pandemic. People are getting busy again. But just that, um, I think I'm, I'm at the moment trying to take some positives out of the situation that we've all been in. And recently, some of my work's gone online. And one of the things that and my work is very much public facing in real life standing on a wooden floor together speaking to each other and one of the things that strikes me is actually we have all this technology and and maybe we're a bit technophobic and actually as long as you organize it and set parameters and you know when you can make sure you still see people in person i think stuff like roll 20 forge um they're really exciting um I've, I've really enjoyed kind of gaming online as opposed to online gaming this last year. Yeah. It's been really helpful. Um, it's Go on, Alex. No, I was just going to say, in the pandemic, Dungeons and Dragons has been a particular relief because um, this is my takeaway from it. The interactions I was having wasn't just with my friends, but it was also with all the characters and the NPCs that we were portraying, which at a time where you're starved of interaction, mm-hmm actually added a massive variation in my and and i think it is a mental health thing it added a massive variation in how i felt about my own socializing because 
I wasn't just interacting with you and Andy. I was also interacting with a complete stranger, as it turns out, yeah. and 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 Gway and various other characters as well. Which, even though they're not real, and don't get me wrong, we're not losing any perception here. We know they're not real, but it it just, I guess, releases. I don't, I don't know if it's a, a you know a chemical thing in the brain or whatever, but it just walks away feeling a damn sight happier, yeah. having had a more varied day. Yes, Andy. Perfect segue to open play. Yeah, great. So we'll take another quick break and we'll be back with Open Play. Welcome back. This is the Open Play section. And today we're going to be talking about one of the all-time classic MMORPGs. That's right. It's the World of Warcraft, first released in 2004. Um, I didn't get involved until around the second expansion, uh, which was the Wrath of the Lich King, bringing Arthas back to the fore. Um, Yeah? I can beat that. I started getting involved yesterday. Brilliant. Uh, Andy, when, what was your first experience of the world? Oh, God, Warcraft. Um, I, actually, I actually played it right from the off. Um, wow. Um, I, I was in Singapore at the time on a secondment with work, and I was all by myself and had nothing better to do. And this thing came out. And I was like, oh, I'll try that. And it took me like about six months to get to, to, get to level cap because, you know, yeah. all those wonderful classic people who are playing it today, that's, that's kind of why well, it doesn't take that long. I was I was playing it around a, a pretty intense job at the time. So yeah, so a long time ago, and then I stopped playing. Oh God, uh, probably two thousand and eleven ish, ten ish, eleven ish. Actually, so I stopped. I stopped Pandaria. playing. Yeah, so I I canned it and missed, and I actually stopped playing to get back into Warhammer because I got fed up of questing for pixels when what i should mm-hmm. be doing is spending time with a paintbrush and actually producing something real and um, so i canned it at that point but then q q29 late 2019 um kieran um from the D campaign and some i think he's done a couple of episodes with him, he? um yeah. he um he got caught in a um completion chain moving house um and asked if he could um stay in my flat for a, a month or so i actually ended up being a few weeks actually but kieran who shall forever now be known as the warcraft pimp um <laughs> i mean he, that's what um, to me. he, he like he comes into my flat and he saunters in and he puts his laptop on the desk and he's like look at what i'm doing <laughs> <laughs> this is really good fun <laughs> classics amazing i'm like classic shit dude it's like yeah but retail you should try retail anyway so he suckered me into it that was that was pre-lockdown but only just to be fair and i kind of dabbled with it i kind of and i was just faffing around with it in the background really between work and many other things um not really much time to play it and then and then covid came and lockdown happened and i i'm not one for tts i think adam you were going to mention this briefly um in this section i it's like if i'm if I'm playing AOS, I want to face someone across the table. To your point, Alex, I want to roll dice. I want to push plastic around. And, and that's my breed of fun, right? Denied that, what could I do? And genuinely, I, I started playing it. We, we have a great group of people who are pretty casual, like good, but casual. Um, and I just got more and more into it over a period of months. And we're just playing it. Frankly, I'm playing it quite a lot. 
Sorry, Alex, go on. I'm only laughing because if you replace the phrase World of Warcraft with crack in this segment. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, when I was at... You're laughing now, Alex. You're laughing now. You're not going to be laughing in a week's time. When I was at uni, it was known colloquially as World of War crack. So that's that's well observed. Yeah. And so I just... Honestly, the social interaction, the, the, the common goals of working together in what can be pretty intense. I mean, it's a game, right? Whatever. But it, it can be pretty intense and focused. And it just it gives you another outlet, right? Um, it gives you something to do with friends in, in, a, in, a, in a way that, frankly, we haven't been able to do for most of the last year. And I think everyone in the group is pretty frank about the fact that once lockdown ends and life returns to normality, although I'm skeptical that is going to happen in 2021, true, true normality. Mm-hmm. Um, Quite. you know, it will probably back off the, you know, take our foot off the gas pedal. But in the meantime, you know, we're now talking about collateral damage, like pulling Alex in. <laughs> and on that, and on that segue, I got into crack um, World of Warcraft yesterday. Um, so yes, this is Kieran. a safe space. This is a safe <laughs> I, space. I, I started yeah. Warcraft yesterday. No, I've been yesterday. playing for twenty-three <laughs> hours. I've already lost. I've already lost my job. Sorry, um, <laughs> I don't know where the mortgage money's coming from. Um, so um, I, I too got kind of suckered into it by not. I, well, kind of by Kieran. Kieran's been very actively messaged me and WhatsApp, being like, "Hey, bro, have you got a computer yet? It's cool if you haven't." You know, you could just play it on your Mac and you can just do the first few levels and it's all free. Don't worry about it. Just try some. Just try some. Um, but also, to be <laughs> fair, you guys have been obviously like playing it a lot and I've been thinking about getting a console anyway and then I kind of made the decision, actually, I don't want a console. I want to do some PC gaming because mm-hmm. the titles are more akin to I love RPGs and WoW is obviously one of the most, if not the most famous. Mm-hmm. So... Um, so my experience of WoW at the moment is very limited. I've just been doing the opening um, area for Shadowlands, and I'm currently a level three troll druid. Um, and that's not um, a possibly long term choice. I think uh, I'm, I'm already looking at some other. I actually kind of I'm, I'm thinking sneaky grot. I'm thinking rogue goblin mm. for when I join your guy, you guys. Um, Rocket I mean, boots. Yeah. <laughs> It just it feels like it might be good fun because it feels I, cool. I, I I've got much more of a hang of the movement mechanics than I've got a hang of anything else at the moment. But it's it's very intimidating to get into. If anyone has so I get if you're like me and you're thinking about it, do it because I think it's great. And Andy's absolutely right. Um, in terms of doing a collective thing with your friends, it's probably one of the most rewarding ones to do in a lockdown scenario because it's um you know because it's a video game and that's conducive to the situation we're in but it is also quite intimidating so i do recommend having a kieran as much as it's um uh you need someone with a spreadsheet right well it's not just that kieran um proactively was on discord proactively noticed that i'd gone on joined your server Mm. and was in the and i wasn't going to tell anybody i was just going to go through the tutorial stuff in my own in my own time and then suddenly this goblin runs over to me and starts going hello hi mate how you doing? And I was ignoring the goblin because I thought it was just some random person trying to talk to me in Stranger Danger and all that. Uh, and it had the um, the screen name um, Shooting Meta. <laughs> and, 
I was like, so he's literally made on. a character to troll your troll, and it, and it was a it was a hunter grot with the um, yeah. steampunk um, gun instead of the bow. Yeah. Um, and I was like, and then I saw the action, and then obviously saw Kieran's username. I was like, oh, you kids. So, uh, <laughs> so, then, so then... funny, funny story along this line, right? Um, so I started playing, and Kieran friended me up, blah blah blah, whatever. But I didn't, I hadn't really paid attention to his character names and stuff. And I was just, I was in, I was in one of the main cities. I won't use the the names because that's too geeky. If, if one can be too geeky about these things, um, and um this this guy just like walks up to me and he's like hey do you want me to take you on a lift anywhere i've got i've got like a mount that you can sit on the back of and i'm like oh shit <laughs> who, the, who the hell is this guy who did that to me as well <laughs> yeah it's like you stalking me yeah <laughs> so, he, so he's literally learned how to troll people on it as well he as stalks well. people in game <laughs> it's weird it's so weird but also like massively appreciated. So I, I joined. Great. I mean, he's, he's, he's such um, a fanboy, right? He's so yeah, enthusiastic. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. He's a good intro guy. I, 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 I left the World I... of Warcraft back in a similar time to Andy, but during Mists of Pandaria, I think I got to the level cap and couldn't be bothered with the, the dungeons were rubbish in that expansion. PVP was beyond me because I'm, I didn't have a good enough internet connection or enough skill. And um, raiding was like far away from the amount of time commitment I was willing to have. So I, I gave it up. Um, I picked it up again during the lockdown. Um, I've got a better computer than I used to for one. And also, you know, Kieran had been saying, you know, you should come play Battle for Azeroth. You should come do this, that and the other. And I thought, yeah, go on then. I'll, I'll join the server. Um, and exactly the same thing. Kieran showed up next to me on a two-seater skyrocket dressed, you know, as a goblin in a dress. And I was like, oh, hi, Kieran. Um and to be fair, it's massively useful because he spent like 25 minutes. It's quite uh, the continent um, area for the, the for that expansion was massive compared to what we have today, which are kind of much smaller islands that you visit in the Shadowlands. And Kieran was like, well, I've got flying, which you haven't unlocked yet. And I've got this two seater flying mount. So why don't I fly you to all of the like waypoints? Uh, the flight points where you can travel between uh, villages and cities so that you haven't got to walk around quite as much. Right. So we spent like 25 minutes and like the quality of life, I was like, great, I can now do any content whenever I want, um, which is just great news. Yeah, it, it was the same for me. Just to finish on that, he actually just spent an, a good hour and a half going through some of the basic mechanics with me. And yeah. as a new player, when what I meant by the comment everybody needs a Kieran it is really 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 useful if you can get a more experienced player to go through the tutorial arenas with you and just um uh, and particularly with discord being so useful because you can share your screen right um and help you with your key binds and other bits and pieces it was uh it, it was a damn sight better introduction than I would have got if I'm trying to figure it out by myself anyway or if you'd started playing in like 2004, because all that nice tutorial stuff that you've played, that's new. You used to just have to figure it yeah. out. Okay, I didn't even know yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all of that stuff has been retrofit. The game is more accessible than it's ever been because it actually tells you how to play it in a way that did not exist back in the day. Um, I, for example, have one keybind ever, and I added it two weeks ago. <laughs> Just use the keyboard, use the standard interface, because everything else is too complicated. Um, so we've got a good guild going on. We're on the Alakir server uh, on EU, um, and to, Andy said we're casual. As a guild of relatively disparate people, um, we're six out of 10 heroic on 
Castlenathria, and um, most of us have got uh, towards getting all of the dungeons uh, over 10 on Mythic Plus, which I think is probably playing a bit more than casual, although maybe we need to recalibrate that during a pandemic. So <laughs> I think you're, you're allowed a few more hours within your casual allocation uh, during these times. Um, it's been fantastic, I think. Um, particularly as we said previously with Dungeons and Dragons um, and playing through uh, be that Forge or Roll20, you know, we're playing with Steve Layton, who used to live in London. I used to see um, at London Calling um, and events like South Coast GT. He lives in Manchester. Am I going to see Steve very often? Sadly not. I might go up to Mancunian Carnage. I'd really like to do that, um, which Alex Jones is running. Um, I might end up in Stockport at some point. We might end up at uh, AOS events. Am I going to spend a couple of hours most days chatting to him over Discord? Probably not. And it's been great. Same with Rob Boyce. You know, I used to always be grudged by Rob at the events that Kieran used to run at Dark Sphere, the uh, Corehammer events at the end of um, 8th edition of Warhammer Fantasy Battle. Rob and I used to play on the bottom tables of those every single event, and we had great fun not knowing how the game worked and being as bad as each other, except my dice were hotter than his. Um, and, you know, Rob's also moved up to Manchester, so he, he and Steve were able to play Warhammer in person together, but, like, we're able to do that. Owen is in Canada, as we've said before. We can play World of Warcraft with him, and, you know, I don't have a job, so I'm up all night anyway, so I've been playing quite a lot just with, just with uh, well, with Kieran, because he's up quite late at the weekends, <laughs> and with Owen as well. Like, that ability to socialise when people are so far flung, um, for me, has been immeasurably important in the last 12 months and as andy says i would expect that i play wow decreasingly um as things relax but i think i'm always going to want to see what the, the new patch has got in store and if people are wanting to run a dungeon maybe it becomes one night every fortnight or one night a month but i'm going to make the time for that in the way that we used to make time for going down to hinton's and getting noodle street in um it's it's a really valid way of keeping in touch with people who are a bit more far flung I completely concur with that. In fact, because I'm conscious that I'm getting into this just at the, the well, hopefully what is the tail end of this pandemic anyway. Um, mm. And, but for me, it was that it was um, what inspired me was that big bang theory episode where they all just actually have an evening where they're like, Oh, we're actually all going to get together and do this thing. And it's really reminiscent for me of when you all used to uh, go around each other's houses with uh, two playstations and plug them into two yeah. TVs and play Call of Duty or something um like it can be a th it can be and it should be a thing that you just do for the sake of it because it's social and it's inherently social um and i think the pandemic's taught us that um it, it's become more important but during the pandemic because we can't do anything else but just because the breadth of the activities we can't do, uh, we can do are not mm -hmm. there doesn't mean that the ones that we are doing don't have depth yeah i mean back in the day um in uh which uh, which one which one am i talking about not the one before kata is that burning crusade no lich king and um, when yeah. we were, when we were doing in 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 wrath days um in the guild i was in at the time which was a bit more serious and had you know kind of two raid nights and grinding nights and stuff like that to get all your mats together and all that fun stuff that you used to have to do um we had like four maybe five land parties Cool, um, like. where the group got together and you just you just strung a bunch of laptop people drove their pcs across across kent or essex or wherever it was <laughs> we were going and you'd get like 10 people in a room and do a 
do a 15 20 man raid and, and yeah. obviously some people in foreign countries and stuff and even then um but it's great i mean it, i've i've got the space here now i'm very lucky to to have the space and be outside coventry so a, a number of benefits there i'm i'm a short drive from um warhammer fest if it ever happens again um i'm technically a commute from warhammer world which is going to be awesome um but I also have, despite living in, in the middle of the countryside, I have a fiber optic cable that run past, runs past my front gate. Right. So I've, I've got a shed ton of bandwidth to have, you know, I could probably fit 10 people in it above yeah. my garage. Um, and we can, do, we can do a land raid. That would be amazing. I'd love to get a whole group of people up here that, and just play for a day. Now that so really takes be... me back to uni. Wrath of the Lich King for us. So I, I got involved in, in, in WoW at Exeter. And um, yeah, George, who I was mentioning before he introduced me to it wasn't quite as helpful as kieran um and that he was playing a night elf rogue and was like 30 levels higher than me which at the time was very meaningful um and um yeah with uh, two of the guys we used to play with in our guild from then are still playing um martin's been raiding with us on his death night um dan is uh, one of my best friends from university and he uh, he plays a lot and is very good at it uh, so he's not been doing much stuff with us but just being able to actually reliably log on and chat to somebody has been nice again so yeah you can play wow in person that's a thing make love not warcraft um the other game that i wanted to briefly mention although i think we're going to talk about it more in a later episode so that we can give it the time that it deserves um and that's that's also true for necromunda the ash waste which alex is going to do a big segment on um next time we speak i believe yeah yeah, um, yeah. sorry we talked about it at the start of the episode but we had a chat and it actually deserves its own segment so we're going to come back to that one yeah. Yeah. yeah um the other thing we've been playing and we haven't actually mentioned it in great detail but tabletop simulator which is available through steam you can play on mac or pc and presumably linux but i don't know um has very good modules for games such as age of sigma um you can play blood bowl through it although you know there's also blood boats blood bowl 2 and soon to be blood bowl 3 through steam um tabletop simulator um has lots and lots of kill team maps and i'm not very interested in kill team um and it has a lot of the blackstone fortress models that you can you know, 3D renders of those. And so George, Athol mentioned, uh, George Newbold, a uh, friend of mine from university, plays Gits, uh, has been playing Lumineth on TTS. He and I played quite a lot of Age of Sigma together on Tabletop Simulator over the last years, just a way to hang out on Discord and, and stress test some lists, stress being the operative word. Um, George had been hoping to run, and is still hoping to run, a Inquisitor campaign. Um, yeah. He and I actually met through Inquisitor um, we were both members of the conclave.co.uk, which is an amazing Inquisitor resource for a game that came out 20 years ago this year in 2001, mm. which is insane. If you don't know about Inquisitor, it's, it was a 54 millimeter scale game. So roughly twice the size of your 28 mil guys from 2001 and about a third bigger than your current guys in 2021 <laughs> due to scale creep. Um, and this time in another 20 years, we'll just be a one for one scale. Yeah, which will be frightening. Yeah. Um, so Inquisitor was the game that we we met through. There was a forum post on the Conclave saying, you know, what universities are people going to? Does, does anyone have any advice? Is anyone nervous kind of thing? And George and I both posted that we were going to Exeter. So we met up and had 
I was going to say a coffee because I'm now in my 30s, but definitely a beer at that time. Um, and just played a lot of Inquisitor, um, which is a brilliant sort of middle ground between something like Necromunda and Dungeons and Dragons. It's a tabletop RPG um, with a incredibly detailed combat system um, that requires a games master because the combat system is sort of the focus of the book, but actually equal weight should be the role play in the scenario. So it takes some arbitration. Um, George landed on the idea, having been frustrated to not run um, Inquisitor uh, in person several times last year. The dates kept being moved back, strangely. Uh, I don't know if anyone else experienced that with their life plans at all. Um, and he hit on the idea of using the kill team boards that have been created within um, Tabletop Simulator and the kind of modern 40K 3D models to play Inquisitor using Discord and Tabletop Simulator. Um, so myself, Alex, uh, Rob Fellman, and uh, my friend Mike from school, so a real range of people, again, living all around the country, have so far had one meetup and uh, play-tested the Inquisitor rules. And do you know what? It holds up. Yeah. And I would love to be playing on... 54 millimeter scale terrain at Warhammer World like it was a decade ago. But there's a pandemic and the game was just as good playing yep. online, having not done for a decade. So that was super yep. cool. Um, so if you want to get involved in that yourself, there's a PDF of the Inquisitor rulebook online, which Game Workshop did release. So it's actually not piracy for once, which is quite nice. Um, and we're just using Tabletop Simulator and there are modules in the workshop section on Steam to get hold of the Kill Team boards um, and uh, to get hold of some models as well, which you can save to your objects and, and then populate the game with. Um, and if you have a good GM or if you fancy doing it, um, I can't recommend that as a system enough. I, and I completely agree because the other really fun component of this, uh, which is the bit they're doing yourself, is not just reading through the books and the fluff in the books because it's 40. If you are relatively new to 40K, this is pro proper 40K, mm. i.e. the peak behind the curtain of what's really going on, not just the Emperor's great and the Space Marines are going to sort everything out. This is the... Everything um, you've been told is yeah, a lie. It's, it's yeah. the proper grim dark. Um, yeah. yeah. And and the other bit around that is building your character is just a joy. It's just really, really fun. To Especially sit if down. they immediately get shot in the groin and taken out of action. So I didn't build that character, and I'm still bitter about that. <laughs> so what Adam's referring to is I was using a demon host, which I was quite excited to use because it's one of my favorite builds in the book. It was just um, because they're the cool archetype. It's a cool archetype, and also they're. Um, not since Eisenhorn have they been explored properly as an entity mm -hmm. um, in 40k they've been kind of glossed over re in recent editions in my opinion um, and he got shot in the penis with a minigun yeah uh, which so, even though he didn't have probably he's a demon host probably didn't have much use for his penis at that point he didn't get he didn't get over that no, you don't come so back from that. For context, no. Inquisitor is a D100 uh, system. So rather than rolling your usual D6 or D8 or D12 that you might be used to um, with most tabletop games, you have a percentage dice. So that's usually represented by two D10s. Um, although when Ga Games Workshop released Inquisitor, they printed uh, D10s with the actual um, 10s on it as well. So it was a proper D100 rolling two dice. Um, there's then a percentage table, which is a hit location chart. So you could be hitting the head or the abdomen or the chest or your arms or your legs or the groin and bizarrely it seems that percentage dice only roll 
groin or headshots. Groin shots, yeah. Um, and um, my my first experience of playing Inquisitor with uh, Fellman was that he rolled a crit to hit and then rolled a crit for the location. So a critical headshot, first shot ever fired in the game. We were only playing one character each. Dead, dead. Yeah. So, um, yeah, percentage-based games. It is still a dice game, even if it's fictional dice on the internet. Um, Simon would be uh, offended if I didn't mention that when we're playing in person, I will still not accept people using dice apps on an iPad. It's one thing for TTS, but if we're throwing down, we're throwing real dice. You can use hand sanitizer if you want. That's legit. Or just bring your own dice. Yeah, that's also true. I always did. You don't want to roll someone else's dice. Like, even pre-COVID, that's like a social no-no, isn't it? So I can't put the dice in my mouth anymore and spit them onto the table. (laughs) (laughs) No, not since Don Pemberton stopped playing Warhammer with us. (laughs) Um, Listen, I'm going to wrap us up there because we said we were going to try and do shorter episodes because I know for me, my attention span is much lower than it was pre-pandemic with any kind of digital media. However, it's been such a pleasure talking to you guys about hobby and about what we've been through although we didn't touch too much on that stuff like you can feel that the gaming has been a super important part of us surviving what has been a ridiculous 12 months and i imagine that's the case for all of our listeners as well so well done everyone for getting this far if you've managed to paint anything or if you haven't well done um i want to say thanks to jay channer for the music that i'm going to try and figure out how to edit in in a minute um i'd like to say a big thank you to matt hinton for not forgetting all the passwords uh and for <laughs> leaving everything in a really accessible state that means that we can carry on uh, we might even persuade him to come on if we can organize a time zone <laughs> chat he should come uh, on to talk about dming again because absolutely think, yeah yeah um and also a big thank you to all the war gamers and hobbyists who we've talked to over the last year, whether that's digitally, whether that's sitting, um, looking at um, Discord and looking at Warhammer previews and being frustrated that it's more elves and, and not the Fulker City reveal or whatever you were hoping would come out. If you've had a chat with any of us about hobby or how you're feeling, thanks so much. It's been really important. Um, and all the content providers as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how how far Rob's uh, stream streak is now, but that must be into the hundreds and hundreds of days. Yeah. Um, you know, amongst others, I really enjoyed going on the Mitzi and Jimbo show uh, at the start of the first lockdown. Um, and although it didn't quite galvanize me into doing the hobby I wanted to, I got there. And uh, their support over the years has been over the year has been valuable too. Great. Well, thanks for coming back. If you've come back, if you've not listened to AngelCast before and have no idea what we're talking about, there is a season one uh, to listen to, which has pre-pandemic hobby joy from when we could all do that in the same room. Um, I'm not going to commit to a timescale, but we're going to do more episodes of this and we're going to talk to some more people. I'd love to get George on to talk about Inquisitor. Um, I'd like somebody who actually knows about Ogres to talk about them. So we're going to talk to Donal at some point. Um, and there'll be more AngelCast content arriving into your ears, uh, however you wish to um, access it very soon. Thank you. <laughs>